say again, I know Pastor Chad said this, but we're so glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, we want to say welcome. My name is Brian Clark. I'm one of the pastors here. Our senior pastor, Darren, and, and his wife, Debbie Rogers, are on vacation this week, but they are watching the live stream, so Nolan, behave. They will know if you don't. Before we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many people here have ever been given a dream by the Lord? And I don't mean that you were asleep and, and he gave you a dream. That may or may not have happened. But I'm talking about he has placed a dream in your heart for a work to do for him. Raise your hand. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this second one, but I want to ask you to contemplate something. How many of you, that dream has not come to pass? That's what we're talking about this morning. Turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 9. In 1988, there was a man named Dan Weidman. Dan Weidman was one of the presidents of a marketing agency that was hired by Nike Corporation to come up with a new campaign slogan. Nike was in a rough spot. They were struggling and being badly beaten by their competitor, Reebok. In fact, the only people then who were buying Nikes were marathon runners. They had sort of a a niche market. So they hired this ad agency, and Dan Weidman was in the room, and he thought back about 11 years earlier, and I don't know what made him think of this, what brought it to his mind, but he thought back to a convicted killer named Gary Gilmore. Gary Gilmore had been convicted in the late 70s of several murders and had been sentenced to die by a firing squad. And moments before the firing squad took his life, they asked him if he had any last words, and he said, let's do it. Dan Weidman thought about that, and he was in the meeting with the Nike executives, and he said, man, I've got this slogan I think is going to be awesome. Just do it. Just do it. The, the whole goal of the slogan was this. Convince the consumer that any dream they have, anything they want to accomplish, they can do it if they just set their mind to it and just do it. If you want to play basketball like Michael Jordan, if you want to play tennis like Roger Federer, maybe you want to win the Tour de France. All you have to do is put on a pair of Nike tennis shoes and just do it. Now, how absurd does that sound? I mean, it really does. But what's crazy is it worked. They convinced people that that's all they had to do. In fact, there have been studies that have shown that when someone is wearing a pair of Nike tennis shoes, that they perform better than when they're not. There have actually been studies that have shown that when they're wearing a pair of tennis shoes that they think were made by Nike, they perform better than when they're not. It's crazy. But the campaign worked. Within 10 years, Nike moved their market share from about 8% of the athletic wear market to over 50% in less than 10 years. And it wasn't just those marathon runners anymore. It was pretty much everyone. From busboys to CEOs, from soccer moms to senators, everyone was wearing Nikes and exercising or at least wearing Nikes and feeling like they were exercising. 
there are certain times throughout history that that marketing slogans transcend what they were created to do. And that's what happened with this Just Do It slogan. It became more than just something to say about Nikes. It became a mantra, or even more than a mantra, it became a way of life, a belief system that anything you wanted to do could be accomplished if you just do it. And for better or for worse, that mentality has changed the landscape of the world that we live in today. Many of the accomplishments that have, that have happened over the past 28 years and many of the companies that have started, many of the products that we have, we have them because some man or some woman decided to just do it. They decided, I've got a dream and I'm just going to do it. Nike had struck a chord with the American people. Actually, for, with the whole world, not just with America. There were so many people who thought with this just-do-it mentality that it changed an entire generation. In fact, Generation Xers, which I am a member of, and I didn't realize how old we're getting until I was watching Survivor the other day. Survivor's doing Generation X versus Millennials, and I was like, wow, I'm in the old group. Generation Xers wanted to just do it. But we still had a sense of responsibility and a sense of of worries and a sense of the daily cares of life. So many of us didn't. And what you see is that the Generation Xers passed that down to their millennial children that don't make the same mistakes I did. Whatever you want in life, just do it. It became a, a mantra, a way of life. But in spite of all that, in spite of how successful the campaign was and what it became, One truth still remains. Most people don't just do it. Most people do not chase their dreams. Most people just settle. Most people play it safe. And the sad thing is that for many of those people, it's not even their dream that they're leaving lay dormant. It's God's dream that he's put inside their heart. For so many people, God has given us a dream, but for one reason or another, we have chosen not to follow it. And it's with that thought in mind, I want us to turn to our text. We all know the story of Paul, right? So in Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to a young man named Saul. And Saul hates Christians. He absolutely despises Christianity. He has committed his life to going into the homes of men and women who follow Jesus, dragging them out into the streets, putting them in prison, and eventually seeing them tried and executed. He's not a very nice guy. He's doing what he's doing for for the right reasons, but it's the wrong thing. Well, Saul finds out that there are Christians who have escaped Jerusalem and fled to the city of Damascus. And so he goes to the high priest and he gets warrants for their arrest. I wish that priests and preachers and pastors could still give warrants for arrest. I'd go round up everyone who skipped church today and your punishment would be having to listen to this sermon over and over. We know that this wasn't just a pastime or a hobby for Paul, Saul at the time. It was much more than that. It was something he had committed his life to. We know that if for no other fact, 
we know that because the trip to Damascus was not an easy one. It's not like Saul was in Fayetteville and said, you know what, I heard there's some Christians up in Bentonville. Let's roll up there and get them. The trip from Jerusalem to Damascus was a very treacherous and very dangerous 135-mile trip. It would, this trip would, there and back would have taken probably three or four weeks out of his life to go get these Christians and bring them back. And that's if there were no problems. Saul really cared about what he was doing. But as, as he came near the city of Damascus, something happens. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to start in Acts 9, verse 3. And it's a lot of reading, and I hate reading to people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it. You can read it. If you don't want to read it, just sit there and close your eyes and listen to my beautiful voice. Let's read. As Saul was coming near the city of Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asked, who are you, sir? The person replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you should do. Meanwhile, the men traveling with him were speechless. They heard the voice but didn't see anyone. Saul was helped up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him into Damascus. For three days, he couldn't see, and he didn't eat or drink. A disciple named Ananias lived in the city of Damascus. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Ananias answered, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, get up, go to Judas's house on Straight Street and ask for a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias replied, Lord, I've heard a lot of people tell about the many evil things this man has done to your people in Jerusalem. Saul has come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priest to put anyone who calls on your name in prison. The Lord told Ananias, go, I've chosen this man to bring my name to nations, to kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias left and entered Judas's house. After he placed his hands on Saul, Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way to Damascus sent me to you. He wants you to see again and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Then Saul stood up and was baptized. After he had something to eat, his strength came back to him. Wow. What a story that Saul has, right? This is the event in his life that changed him forever and that would begin him on a journey of growing the church and writing much of the New Testament Bible. But today I'm not really that interested in Saul. Today we're going to look at Ananias. I've looked through as many records and, and Google searches as I can find, and the only time we hear about Ananias that I'm able to find is in this passage right here. It's all we know of his life. It's all we have to go on. You see, we're talking about dreams today, dreams that are given to us by God. We're talking about when God tells you to do something, but that for one reason or another, we choose not to follow. And there are three things that I believe coincide with every God-given dream. The first thing I believe is true 
is that there will always be obstacles. There will always be obstacles in reaching the dream that God has given you. We've all heard the saying before. When someone says that a task is difficult, we say, well, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Parents, have you ever told your kids that? I say that to my kids all the time. They get so sick of hearing it. That, and they tell me, if I tell them to look for something, they say, I don't know where it is. I say, yeah, I know. If you knew where it is, you wouldn't have to look for it. Go look for it. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But it seems like that that principle is amplified when it comes to tasks that are given to you by God. Just one time, just one time I would like God to tell me to eat a dozen donuts. Instead, he tells me to fast. It's just not fair. I could do the first one real easy. The second one's much more difficult, especially in October. There have been folks bringing food to the church every single day. We're appreciative of that. I say that jokingly, but seriously, God asks us to do things that are not easy. God told Noah to build a boat and then fill it with animals and then sail around for a really long time. I'm sure there were obstacles to that. I don't know what Noah's occupation was before he built the ark, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't a carpenter, a zookeeper, and a sailor. I'm pretty sure that he didn't have those three jobs. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to lead over a million slaves out of captivity. Moses had some roadblocks, some obstacles there. First of all, he was born in Egypt. He was raised in Egypt. He fled there when he killed a man. Oh, and by the way, he also had either a a speech impediment or a stutter. He had some sort of speaking problem. But he was going to go talk to Pharaoh and get him to let God's people go. What about Gideon? In the book of Judges, we read about Gideon. God told him to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. And what did he say? He said, why me? I, my tribe is the least important tribe in Israel, and I'm the least important one in my tribe. He had obstacles. Why does God always ask us to do things that are difficult? And why does it seem that he always chooses the wrong person for the job? I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's because God wants to get the glory. If he chose the easy answer, if he chose the man that, that was a carpenter, a zookeeper, and a sailor, people would be like, well, Noah's just doing what he does. I think God likes to get the glory. Do you think if God sent another giant to kill Goliath, we'd still be telling that story today? He didn't send a giant. He sent a little shepherd boy. Back to our story. Can you imagine how scared Ananias was? God says, hey, Ananias, you know that guy that's killing all the Christians? You know that guy who you've heard is on his way here to arrest you and your friends, drag you back to Jerusalem, and have you killed? Go talk to him. Ananias expresses his fear, but I tell you what, I don't know, I don't know about you. If it were me, I would have expressed my fear much more firmly. I would have said, God, now listen, 
visions are all well and good. And I appreciate that, but I need to know that I didn't eat bad pizza and then go to bed. God, I'm going to need to hear an audible voice. Or let that bush catch on fire and not be consumed. Let me know that it's you. You want me to do what? If you're going to do what God has called you to do, if you are going to fulfill that dream that he has placed in your heart, there will definitely be obstacles. There will definitely be fear. But the question you have to answer is, are you going to let those obstacles, are you going to let that fear keep you from reaching your potential and from doing what God has called you to do? There's a motivational speaker named Nick Vujicic is how I'm going to pronounce it. And since I have the microphone, that's how you pronounce it. Have you guys ever seen this guy, Nick? He, he speaks to schools all around the world. The dude has no arms and no legs. He's got one little little nub on, on this end, and he calls it a nub, so it's okay for me to say that. He calls it his chicken wing. It's kind of shaped like it. The dude has no arms and no legs. If anyone could ever say, oh, no, I can't do that. It'd be him. I mean, I'm talking about, I don't care if it's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The dude could say, oh, I can't do that. But Nick has found a way to overcome those obstacles and do almost anything. He drives a car. I don't know how in the world he does it. He drives a car. Drives better than Colby does. Someday, when you look back on your life, do you want to be able to say, well, I played it safe and I made it? Or do you want to be able to look back and say, wow, I don't know how God did that, but wow. I'm in the second group. Because there will always be obstacles. But the next thing I've learned is that God will always prepare the way. This summer I had the opportunity and the pleasure to take my second international missions trip with our youth group. We got to go back to the country of Honduras where I'd been once before and do an awesome work there. And if you've never been to Honduras, you, you need to go there. Hook up with Family Builders International, Jeff Kennedy, or with Kids Ark, Randy Herring. We, we support both those guys. We love those guys. They're doing an awesome, awesome work. Hook up with them and go to Honduras because it is a, it is a beautiful, beautiful country. The people there are just joys to work with and, and, and serve, and there's so much work that needs to be done there. But we got to go there and do an awesome work. But if you've ever been on a missions trip with our church, or especially with our youth group, we always try to build in a fun day on the trip. An R&R day is what the guys call it because they, they're not allowed to have fun days, but they call it a rest and relaxation day. But we build in a fun day to the trip, and it's usually the, the last day before you fly home, and it, this trip was, was no different. On our fun day, we got to go to an authentic tourist market. We got to um, go to the big mall in San Pedro Sula, and we got to go to this beautiful and massive waterfall in a place that, that everybody calls Pula. That's, that's short for a, a longer word, but it's the Pula Waterfall. 
And this thing is, it's the biggest waterfall I've ever seen in my life. Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls or anything, but I mean, this thing's big. It's not, it ain't like going up to Devil's Den or Tanner Creek and seeing a little waterfall. It's massive. And there's a lot of things that you can do with this waterfall. There's a lot of activities. They have zip lines that go back and forth across the river and through the canopies. And then the zip line actually goes over the waterfall, getting mist in your eyes. And, and I mean, it's, it's really cool. I've never done that, but some of our people did. Russell and, and Jordan, several of our people did that zip line tour. There's also a behind the waterfall tour. Wow. Let me tell you, I'm a nerd, in case you don't know this. The people who know me best know that I'm a nerd. I research everything. I found out a while back that Target was having buy one, get one free games, board games. I spent all afternoon looking on the internet to find out which board games were the best. I'm a nerd. Before we went, I will, my kids get so sick of it. I'm going to rant for a minute here. We'll go, Justin and I went to get Christina a vacuum for Mother's Day last year. We spent several hours standing in the store with me looking, researching vacuums on my phone. It picks up dirt. The one we had before that, we probably got at a garage sale for $10. But I didn't want to waste my money, so I was researching. Anyways, before we went to Honduras, I, I was researching this waterfall tour. I was reading reviews about it and watching videos. There was even, there was one video that's not online anymore, but uh, people were wearing GoPros taking this waterfall tour. And it's a really cool tour. You're, you are, you're jumping off, off rocks in, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet high into these little pools and then swimming across the pools and climbing up. And, and then you go back behind the waterfall and you're sitting in this completely dark cave where you can't see anything. And it's a really cool thing. And all of the reviews were positive. They said things like, once-in-a-lifetime experience, make sure you don't miss this, completely exhilarating. And every one of those reviews was spot on, along with the ones that said, scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Because there comes a point in this tour when you have to get from the outside of the waterfall to the inside of the waterfall. And what you're doing is you're shimmying along this huge stone, going from left to right, trying to get, and, and you, you step from the lower level up to another higher level, and then you go back in and, and get behind the waterfall. But while you're, you're walking along this stone, there are literally thousands of gallons of water pelting you in the head. You are literally under the waterfall. It is the scariest experience I've ever had. You cannot see anything except water and mist. You can't breathe hardly at all because there's, there's so much water coming down on you. It's, it's, and I don't mean to make light of this torture method, but it feels like what I would imagine waterboarding would be like. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal. You, all you can do is look straight down because if you turn your head just the slightest amount, then you have water completely filling your mouth and nose and you can't breathe. But even if you could turn your head left or right, it wouldn't matter because you can't see anything but the water and the mist. And you also can't hear anything because it is so loud that the tour guide who is standing three feet from you shouting instructions at the top of his lungs can't be heard at all. It's like he's not even there. It is probably the scariest experience I've ever had. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I got to that point in the tour, and, and I was the first one of our group going through it because I wanted to make sure it was somewhat safe. 
And um, when I got to that point, I considered turning back and calling it quits. I was really, really scared. The only way that I made it through is because somebody had prepared the way before we went. Because while you're shimmying along this rock, you're holding on to a chain that's about that big around for dear life. Because if you let go of the chain, you know where you're about to go, which is back in the river, having fallen 20 feet or so onto the rocks. You're shimmying along and you're holding this chain. And when, you, when you're so scared and you can't see anything and you can't hear anything and you don't know what to do, the only thing that gets you through is your knowledge and your belief that someone has prepared the way for you and that that chain, if you keep following it, will eventually lead you to where you need to go. That to me is the clearest representation of how God prepares the way for our dreams that I can think of. When you're in those moments in your life where you're, you're scared and you don't know where the road leads, when you want to turn back, you have to have faith that God has prepared the way. What did God do before he sent Ananias to see Saul? Well, first he blinded Saul for three days. Later in Ephesians, Paul would write that Jesus made him a prisoner for the gospel. And I personally believe that that is what he's referring to. I personally believe that he's referring to the fact that he was made a prisoner for three days. Complete and total darkness, nothing but him and God. But he did more than just blind him. He also gave him a vision that a man named Ananias would come and pray for him and he would receive his sight again. Oh, and by the way, don't kill him. And that's what God always does. Just like he did for Ananias. He didn't leave him hanging. He didn't put him out there to dry. He prepared the way for him. And he does it over and over and over again. Noah could have never, ever rounded up all the animals that he was supposed to take on on the ark. I truly believe Noah could not have accomplished it. But in Genesis 7, after Noah builds the ark, it says this, Clean and unclean animals, birds and creatures that crawl on the ground, came to Noah to go into the ship in pairs. Think about that for a minute. I can't get my dog to come into the house when I want him to. And every animal lined up outside the boat in pairs and waited their turn to get on. When Moses said, God, I don't talk so good. God said, oh, that's awesome. Because Aaron is on the way. He's going to talk for you because he talks real good. Oh, and by the way, take this staff with you that turns into a snake. You may need it. You think I'm making this up? Read your Bible. It's in there. God gave one of the Midianites a dream that Gideon was going to come and kill him also. By the time Gideon got there with his very, very few men compared to the countless men that were in the Midianite army, they were so scared that they ran around killing each other. God prepared a way. 
time and time again in the Bible, we see God give someone an assignment, a scary, impossible task, and then we see him work out all the details so that it can be accomplished. So what makes you any different? Why are you the one person in the history of the world who God's going to give a task and not make it possible? How much longer will you sit back and tell God that you can't do what he's asked you to do? We're talking about dreams. Yes, there will always be obstacles, but God will always prepare the way, and finally, it will always be worth it. Always. Ananias does what God tells him to do. He goes to see Saul. He lays hands on him, and instantly Saul can see again. It says that he stands up, gets baptized, eats, and starts preaching. By the way, that's a whole other sermon. I'll step over here. I don't have the illustrations. I don't have the stories. I don't have the jokes, but let me tell you. Number one, take care of your spirit. Number two, take care of your body. Number three, go do what God told you to do. That one's free. Buy one, get one free this morning. Hope you paid your tithes. He stands up, he gets baptized, he eats, and he starts preaching. And because one man, Ananias, did what God told him to do, the entire future of God's church, of Jesus Christ's bride, the entire future of the church has changed because one man did what he was supposed to do. Paul goes on to plant at least 14 churches, probably many more. Most scholars believe that he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Oh, and by the way, he stopped killing Christians. Probably the most important one for Ananias. Now, I'm not sure that God never does this, but I'm pretty convinced in my spirit that God doesn't go around giving people dreams for no reason. I think he's pretty busy, and he probably wouldn't waste his time with sending you on a wild goose chase. I think if God gives you a dream, it's because he wants good to come from it. In fact, Paul writes later in the book of Romans, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those whom he has called according to his plan. God had Noah build a boat so that the human race and all of the animals that he had created could continue living after he brought judgment on the world in the form of a flood. God had Moses go back to Egypt and deliver those slaves out of bondage so that nation, so that, excuse me, Israel could become a sovereign nation. God had Gideon step up and do things that he was not qualified to do so that the Israelites could live again. It had gotten so bad they couldn't even grow their own crops because the Midianites would come in and destroy them. They were on their way to extinction. And God had Ananias go pray for Saul so that Saul could grow the church. What has God asked you to do? 
And what would happen if you decided to just do it? If God has given you a dream, just do it. You know, I love preaching sermons like this because I'm not the pastor here. And when he gets back from vacation, Pastor D is going to have a whole list of people who want to meet with him because they want to start ministries. And that's not the goal of this because sometimes God does say wait, but many of us are waiting when God didn't say wait. God did like he did with Ananias and he said go. And whatever he's told you to do, that may be something here, but it may be something that's not here anymore. He may be sending you out. We've seen it happen time and time again. But as I was in my office this morning praying and and preparing my heart and mind, this thought came to me, and and I'm not going to say it was the Holy Spirit because I I don't want to lie, and it it may or may not be, but, but I had this thought. How many people are here today who have been here before? You sat in a room. You've heard a sermon about doing what God has called you to do, about chasing that dream. And that fire was rekindled and you got excited. But for whatever reason, you just let it go again. know that there's people in this room who need this word. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes and I, I want to pray briefly before I ask you to respond. Lord, I love you so much. Thank you for your dreams. Lord, I thank you for your direction. And Lord, I know that, that you have a specific purpose for every one of your children. And it breaks my heart, God, to know that, that some of us just sitting back and letting that dream die. Lord, I pray today that you will change that. Teach us to be dreamers again, God. Lord, don't let the obstacles or the fear keep us from doing what you've called us to do. Reassure us that you have prepared the way and that it's going to be worth it. Lord, reestablish in our hearts your will for our lives. This morning, I'm not going to call you down and lay hands on you.
But this morning I'm going to challenge you. If you are the one person who God had me preach this word for, whether you're in the room or or you're at home right now watching this on the live stream, if it's you, you know. You know in your heart that this word was for you. If that's you, I want you right now just to stand and put both hands up in the air. Just stand up and throw your hands in the air and say, God, that's me. I'm here. Use me. Let me chase my dream. Lord, use us today. God, whatever it is, whatever you want, God, whatever you ask, we give our lives to you. Lord, minister to people today.